Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I'm Anthony Malakian, U.S. Editor of Waters, and I'm joined by James Rundle, our news editor. Hello. So today we're going to quickly hit on Fidesa's new suitors as the Temino Steel has apparently turned a little bit murky. And then we're going to take a look at Bitcoin, but rather than look at it as an investment vehicle, which you know we've written a lot about and we've discussed here on the podcast pretty extensively, a lot about, a lot about. Uh, we're going to look at some of the negative byproducts and potentially positive byproducts of Bitcoin, such as the energy it takes to mine for these coins and what kind of effect it may have on a younger generation looking to get involved in investing, kind of just more exploratory around the edges of what Bitcoin is, I guess. Um, before we get into any of that, though, a few updates. Um, first, uh, all of our write-ups from the Women in Data and Technology Awards are live on waterstechnology.com. If you want to read about some uh, really talented women in our field and potentially find some talent to poach, uh, you can go to the All the Winners and Why They Won post to find all of the write-ups. And, of course, congratulations to our winners. Um, we also have a longer feature live where eight of our winners gave advice for advancement in you know, what's the capital markets technology field and capital markets just in general is a male-dominated field. Mm-hmm. Not explain anything like that. Uh, not, not, nothing earth-shattering there. But they gave some of their advice on uh, lessons that they've learned along the way. Um, being that me and you are men, uh, we're probably not equipped to it, it, do a it, deep dive it, into this being discussion. Being white men, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> so maybe not. So, but uh, uh, the, the feature's good. It's got some pretty stark, actually, statistics I didn't even realize about um, declining rates of participation in STEM subjects among women and, and in the tech industry as a whole. So it's really worth reading, actually. It's... Good. Yeah, um, yeah. It was, uh, James, myself, Wei Shen, and Josephine Gallagher in London. Uh, we teamed up uh, to put that together. So give that a read. Is it the first four byline feature that Waters ever had? I think so. It's... You know, it could be. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we, we we hit that one hard. That was good. Yeah. Um, and just a quick reminder that we have three upcoming events that you should consider signing up for. First, on April 17th in Midtown Manhattan, we are hosting the North American Innovation Summit, uh, which will examine the fintech scene and new cutting-edge technologies like AI, you know, blockchain, all the good stuff that you'd expect, Bitcoin. Um, on May 16th in London, we have the annual Buy-Side Technology European Summit. As, you might, as the name indicates, it's geared toward the buy-side, but we have a ton of senior executives speaking and in attendance. So if you want to hear what the buy side's working on or potentially find a job at a hedge fund, come on out. Um, then on May 23rd, we have the North American Financial Information Summit, which is a data event hosted by our friends at Inside Market Data and Inside Reference Data. Um, I've got a fourth event actually as well. Uh, so I'm doing a webcast on April the 24th, I think, on the Consolidated Audit Trail. So we've got speakers from uh, FIS, Morgan Stanley, all that good stuff. It's obviously free to listen in. So if you want to know what's happening with the cat, tune in. It's, yeah. it's uh, 10 o'clock in the morning Eastern time, 3 o'clock UK time. So, yeah, we'll yeah. put up a link for that. I'll have to remember to do that since this is all catching me off guard, James. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know about it. I've got to keep you on your toes, Tommy. I, mean, I, can't, I can't script everything. <laughs> Excuse me, I have a bit of a cold, so you hear me coughing, sniffling a little bit. I apologize. Um, I was out with the plague on Monday, Tuesday. She's not Wednesday. given to me. Um, we're not in a relationship, just to make yeah. that clear. People are going to start talking, though, Jim. People are going to start talking. Um, so all these events, they're free to attend for our end users. So if you work at a bank, brokerage, hedge fund, asset manager, I hope you'll join us. 
good events, good senior people, um, and at the end of the day, you can grab a drink with James and me, and what, what better reason to attend an event than for that? Yeah. Um, on to business. Uh, so back in, let's start with uh, Fidesz, let's start with the news. Yeah. So back in February, Temenos put in a bid to buy Fidesa. Fidesa was supposed to hold a shareholder vote on a deal either this week or next week, I'm not sure. Thursday, I suppose. Thursday. Yeah. Um, but postponed it after apparently SSNC Technologies and Ion Investment Group entered the fray. Jim, explain to us what's going on. Yeah, so under UK takeover rules, uh, when someone makes a firm offer to acquire a company, as what happened with Temenos and Fidesa, there's a period of 21 days where people can make a counter offer or potential other seizures can come in. And uh, I think the FT first sort of wrote a story a couple of days back saying, you know, people are interested. Uh, and then Fidesa had to confirm it. I said, yeah, we received uh, an offer from uh, from Ion, which was, I think, 5% above what Terminus had offered. Uh, and they also had been approached by SSNC, but SSNC had actually made a proper offer yet, I don't think, as far as I know. Um, so now under, again, UK takeover rules, they don't have to consider that. Um, they have a duty to their shareholders to you know, assess what's the best value for them getting out the deal. Um, this happens... Just by wonder, yeah. just to jump in there, apologies, mm-hmm. but for a shareholder, isn't what's best for them the 5% more that they're going to get paid off in the end? It depends. I mean, if... if uh, yeah, I mean, on a purely financial basis, I guess you can look at it that way. That's it, all a shareholder cares about, right? Well, it is, but it depends on the structure of the deal. So, you know, if you end up... Um, getting your 5% from Fidesa and then that's it, you just sell your shares off to him or if you end up getting some stock in SS&C for instance which might have a higher market cap um, maybe a more variable revenue threshold, you think you might your coupon might be better than uh, sorry, your dividend might be better than maybe that's uh, something you consider as well but um, yeah, I mean it's kind of peculiar I guess, like SS&C has just bought up everything in sites and actually had a, um, a share offering earlier this month to help finance the DST Global deal so where they're going to get the money from for a two billion dollar purchase of Finesse, I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting that people jumping in anyway if they've been doing it. The cynic in me wonders if they're almost jumping to try and scuttle the deal. To well, that's the strategy, and, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, and under the rules now, if they make an offer, Finesse has to open their books to them and they can then look at it and say, Well, we've done our due yeah. diligence and uh, we decided not to pursue the offer in the end, and then Terminal has to either you know match their offer or. It drives the price up essentially. You saw that happening with um, the acquisition of GFI, I think, when BCG broke uh, <coughs> it a while back. Um, and there was a bidding war between them and the CME, um, which BCG ultimately won. But that was a tactic they employed to drive the price. They said, oh, you know, we can open up books and then we, we're going to put this in, they'll put this in, and then yeah. sort of drive up the price of it. Also, interesting that Elliott, um, the activist head fund, has taken a pretty substantial position in Finesse as well, and they've been fairly vocal saying they think that the price is too low for them. Yeah. So you're wondering if maybe this is coming in and being prompted by other things as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, the problem with these M&A stories is that they're so impossible to tell where they're going to go. Like whether it's the BCG, CME, GFI debacle, or whether it's the London Stock Exchange, Deutsche Bourse thing sure. from a couple of years back, or whether it's these are the most frustrating stories to cover as a reporter. Well, it's, um, why, it's why I hate writing about them. It's why, yeah. you know, it's like you chase after, get common and everything like that, and then at the end of the day, the deal never happens. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. It's just a waste of time. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's all, day, all day chasing someone saying, yeah, we can't talk about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, and at the end of the day, what's going to happen is going to happen. Nothing's going to change whether knowing that beforehand, unless you're a shareholder in Fidesz, in which case, obviously, you have an interest, but then you can just call up Fidesz directly to their investor relations and say, what's going on? Yeah. Um, in terms of, I guess, like, Temenos kind of fits in a way. 
in terms kind of, of the whole retail, kind whole of retail side and like the full kind of offering. Um, SS and C, obviously very very big in technology on the buy side um, on the sell side. I get not really known for it, and the, you know their clients are predominantly buy side firms, and Finesse has a huge sell side sort of aspect to it um, across multiple asset classes. Ion, I'm not actually that familiar with overall. You know Ion pretty well, don't you? In terms of, I mean, I just know them from the commodity space yeah. and the energy space and the acquisitions that they made there where they've been incredibly aggressive. I'm not sure that, you know, Fidesa really fits into there now. Ion is also owned by a um, uh, large uh, stake uh, by Carlisle Group. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some talk about, you know, Ion's investments being driven by Carlisle in a lot of ways. Yeah. So potentially that's something that's at play here, but I, I that's just pure speculation. I, I don't know anything. Well, you wrote a story about that, didn't you? About yeah. how it's uh, the, to doing almost yeah, a power play to build a kind of a new big fintech vendor. So maybe they're an interesting suitor for them. Uh, and there could be other people as well who come in and think, actually, you know what? If this is happening, I'm going to get in on this as well. Yeah. Um, if you're Fidesz, are you if you are an employee mm-hmm. of Fidesz, just an exciting time because to me, I would. This would just send jitters. Yeah. Temenos deal in and of itself would send, would make me jittery. Now all of a sudden we have SS and C, this monolith, you know, coming in, you know, that has all these different, you know, just acquiring everybody in sight. And has a certain reputation for, you know, being quite ruthless, I guess, when it acquires them. Very good yeah. to its employees. I mean, like speaking to a number of their client, well, a number of their employees at their client conference last year, like everyone had been there sort of like, 15, 20, 25 years, yeah. and that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it always it puts the mockers on people whenever it sort of does it. And I think the technical term is it's squeaky bum time, someone told me from uh, Fidesz, in terms of, you know, whichever way it goes, it, the organization's going to change. And it has to, right? I mean, it's been, yeah. you know, the way Fidesz's managed hasn't been bad necessarily, but I think anyone can see it's not moving forward in the way it is right now. So, when, um, you know, whenever you acquire a company, there's always some attrition, there's always some change in structure in terms of products and everything else as well. But yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, I would almost think like Temenos. I think that the autonomy that you'd be able to have would exist more than in an SSC deal. I, I really would, like I said, Ion Ion's yeah. an interesting entrant into this one that I wouldn't have seen coming. I mean, I don't, I don't see SSC's appeal for it apart from like Fidesz's buy side offerings. Yeah. Obviously, like that makes sense, but. And to be fair, SSC, while Fidesa announced that, that SSC was a pseudo, we don't really know how serious of a pseudo right now, right? Well, they haven't made an offer, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so. yeah, but I mean, yeah, with Temenos, they, they probably disappear into the wider Temenos machine. With SSC, they'd be a business unit within SSC, like, um, uh, you know, like Advent is and that kind of thing yeah. as well. Um, with Ion, probably becoming part of this whole new hole. Um, so, I don't know. Be interesting times though. Interesting times. Yeah. Or I'll just all gets guttled and all this was <laughs> for nothing. This for nothing. Wasted yeah. air, wasted writing. Try right, up that time. stock price. <laughs> all right, let's talk something that's more tangible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm an environmentalist, James. You know what I mean? You know, I'm just, I'm all about, you know, environmental, social governance, ESG yeah. issues, you know. Finance happy, aren't you? People the... just don't realize I'm a Republican, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also, you know, I care about the environment, I care about these kind of things. Yeah. Um, so we've been talking a lot about Bitcoin. We've yeah. written extensively about it. It's something that we have um, discussed in great lengths on the podcast here. A while back, I wrote about you know some of the dangers of Bitcoin mining. It, it 
it's bad for the environment, quite frankly. It's, uh, let me see here. My nose is running. You're going to have to forgive me for a second here. Let me just quickly up. Yep. Otherwise, James is going to have to look at me, and that's just going to be gross for him. <laughs> um, so this was from a Politico article um, that examined a town in Washington, the state of Washington, uh, East Wenatchee, uh, which is down the road uh, from Seattle. And they said, a Bitcoin miner that they spoke with said that it's the commercial miners now pouring into this area are building sites, and so this is quoting the article, uh, tens of thousands of servers and electrical loads of as much as 30 megawatts or enough power to, uh, or enough to power a neighborhood of 13,000 homes. And the arms race that cryptocurrency mining has become, even these operations will soon be considered small scale. Um, to put into a little bit of perspective for you, the, the how much it costs the, the the global Bitcoin mining operation, a couple stats from an article I just recently wrote um, that I got from Digiconomist, which kind of tracks these things. But Bitcoin mining consumes fifty seven point two terawatt hours of energy, um, and its Bitcoin energy consumption index, which tracks these things has been rising at a hard 45 degree angle over the last six months. So this, this is, is just this is per month or per day or? What? Per month or per day? This is the global, um, I can't remember if, I, I think it is on a daily, because mm. it keeps on going up per day, yeah, so it must be on a daily kind yeah. of uh, uh, rate. Excuse me. So, and to put a little bit more context in that, um, it to, to run the global Bitcoin mining operations it takes more power than it takes to run the country of Greece, <laughs> um, which is the 46th highest energy consumption Phenomenal, in the world. isn't it? Yeah. Like, By 2020, it'll basically wipe out, every, it'll, it'll take about as much to run what runs the US today. And, I mean, the, the CO2 output's got to be phenomenal as well, right, as a result of that. It's... Well, so most of these are, uh, so again, this is from Digiconomist, and this quote, the Bitcoin network is mostly fueled by coal-fired uh, power plants in China right. and produces... 415.14 kilograms of carbon dioxide per transaction. Very, very bad. Yeah. Um, and then just one other little quick stat here. Mining for one Bitcoin consumes 847 kilowatt hours. Processing 100,000 Visa transactions consumes 169 kilowatt hours. Just one Bitcoin transaction is six, seven times more, you know, uh, requires six, seven times more than a hundred thousand visa transactions. What, so, so to buy and sell something using a Bitcoin takes that much, or to mine to mine Bitcoin, for to one, mine for Bitcoin. one Bitcoin, yeah, to mine for one Bitcoin. That's, I mean, that's uh, I was watching a Vice actually a documentary from Bezin. This is from back in twenty fifteen actually, uh, where they were saying they went to some mine in China, um, which is a pretty big one for the time. It's probably small, small fry, I guess. Yeah. But they're saying their electricity bill was eighty thousand dollars a month. Yeah, and that uh, for one day of opera to mine one Bitcoin or something, it was the same as. CO two output as a um, a seven four seven flying yeah. international flight or something like really incredible amounts of money. So. And so we think about these and these are numbers like oh, but it's it's all hypothetical. But what we are seeing here in the United States and I'm sure it's just happening around the globe. But a couple articles, one from BuzzFeed, one from Politico, and uh, then a bunch of people wrote about um, what happened. So I went to school in Plattsburgh, in Plattsburgh, mm -hmm. uh, which is right on the Vermont uh, Canada border, northernmost. Big town, uh, there are a couple of smaller ones between the border with Canada. But it's a big town um, in uh, the north country there. And so they 
have a great deal there because you have the Moses Saunders Power Dam, which is on the um, St. Lawrence River. So it's right down the road in uh, Quebec. And basically, because that this hydroelectric dam is right down the road, um, the national cost for electricity is just over 10 cents per kilowatt hour for your everyday resident mm -hmm. user. In Plattsburgh, residents only pay 4.5 cents, and industrial operations only pay 2 cents. So what you're seeing is Bitcoin miners now are moving into Plattsburgh to just take advantage of this. And there was a great article in Vice about this. Well, let me see if I can grab my papers here. Um, so in Vice, the city that banned Bitcoin mining did a deep dive into specifically Plattsburgh. So did not the Washington one, not the Wyoming one. And you know they're saying that some people's uh, electric bills have gone up one hundred, two hundred dollars because, <coughs> excuse me, um, mm -hmm. because of how much energy is costing. It's been a very cold winter. Plattsburgh is just. You, know, you have Lake Champlain right there. The wind comes howling off of there. You have the Adirondacks. Wind come howling down there. It is freezing during the winter. Yeah. There. Usually with the wind chill, it will regularly get into the negative degrees at night. Um, so that's why we would just go down you know, to the bars and just drink very, very aggressively. Um, <laughs> get that beer blanket going. Only, only way to stay warm down there. Yeah. Um, but one of the interesting things that they were saying is, you know, just to kind of put this into... Uh, 10% of the town's power usage in the first quarter of the year was drained by Bitcoin mining operations, <coughs> according to their figures. And one of the larger um, companies, uh, Moldright Plastics, which employs 500 people in the town, um, they use 2.9 megawatts of power each month. Their bill went up $22,000 as a result of the increase. And if that keeps on happening, they're going to have to lay off people. Yeah. The counter is, well, this is, they're going to bring in people. They're good. This is, we can be, the, the Bitcoin miners is like, we are at the, we're at the, you know, advent of something here. We mm -hmm. can become the hub for Bitcoin mining. Basically what they're doing is they're building these operations and then Bitcoin miners from around the world are tapping into their system to mine their systems over there. So yeah. they're just basically tapping in to... Plattsburgh's cheap energy supply. I'm just going to read one thing, and then I'll, I'll let you jump in here. No, but I was just saying about the point about hiring people is ridiculous as well. But yeah. yeah it's, uh... So, so this is from the Vice article. <coughs> um, cities welcome large investments from tech companies because promise of job creation, investment in the local economy. But the heavily automated nature of cryptocurrency mining means that a large operation can use a significant amount of a municipality's power, generate little or nothing in tax revenue and create negligible number of jobs. Uh, cryptocurrency investors from around the world are using Plattsburgh's cheap electricity to get rich and are being subsidized by the city's residents to do so. That's a scathing sentence, isn't yeah. it? So basically they put in a moratorium 18 months. So the crypto, so the Bitcoin mining operations that exist there currently can keep on running their operations. No new Bitcoin mining operations can come in. This is like a sick world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, people are going to really love listening to this podcast. I do apologize. But, um, you know, th this is very real world effects that you are seeing mm. having on the people of Plattsburgh. 
which is going through a massive budget crisis right now. I mean, they've been going through a budget crisis for a long time, ever since the Air, Air, uh, the Air Force closed down their base up there. Um, we need to really start thinking, examining the worth of this yeah. and putting in regulations to make it so that these pirates can't come in, use your energy on the cheap, and then provide no jobs. It's like the guy from Coinman who was saying, it's like, well, we can, we can bring jobs in. They have 40 people. So Coinman's based out of Puerto Rico. They have 40 employees globally. When asked, how many employees do you have here in Plattsburgh? He said, eh, I can't really quite say. I'm not, we're not sure. You have 40 people globally. You can't tell me how many are in the town of Plattsburgh. They probably have two, three maybe employees. The, the diner, as was said in the Vice article, the diner across the street employs more people than this Bitcoin mining operation. So what you know? I, I, these are questions that we need to start examining. I think in real full force and really open eyed, and start to develop regulations and taxation around these companies. Well, is this not at the heart of kind of the, the basic question about Bitcoin? Is what value does it bring to society? Like you know, we, when we were covering the futures, I kept asking people this. I was like, look, I understand the, the point of a futures contract. It's to hedge against a you know a, a rise in price or whatever. If, if you're a farmer and you want to lock in your price for the next few years, fine. Yeah. What's the value of a Bitcoin futures contract? And people saying, well, so you can hedge your Bitcoin transactions. Like, yeah, okay, but what's the the real world value of this? And then, um, you know, people just say, oh well, you know, it's it's finance. Uh, you're, you're being too kind of um, they essentially want to say too liberal about it. But like, <laughs> well, it's funny because like I'm an I believe in open markets and everything sure, like that. Yeah, but yeah. You can't pillage this way. I mean, and, and this is what we've been doing yeah. this for. It's like yes, but you cannot have. A pillaging for nothing for yeah, yeah. for something that creates nothing. It creates you can't a come fake into a town, money. Squat there, use the um, use the, the cheap power, and force the city then go on the spot market and buy it, and then have a massive impact on local businesses, which will shut down and lay yeah. off people and that kind of thing as well for no gain. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, maybe the IRS should be taxing the creation of these bitcoins, saying fine if you want to do that. And again, then you have to put thirty percent of your profits back into the city of Plattsburgh or whatever. Yeah. But like you and me were talking about this last night as well, and um, it, it just about the kind of the general social aspect of Bitcoin and, and you know the idea of mining things. So you solve complex mathematical problems, and you get rewarded when you solve that correctly with a Bitcoin. It gets yeah. minted and issued to you. Fine, understand that. The reason why you need to have these increasing farms is a because people are getting greedy, and b because the the computational problems are getting more and more complex every single day. But as far as I understand, it's like. They're just math problems. They're not actually solving anything. So yeah. it's not like the processing power is being put towards developing a vaccine for, yeah. you know, any kind of disease or being put towards cancer research and trying to solve any formulaic issues with that and that kind of thing. If that was the case, there would actually be a social benefit for it, but there doesn't yeah. seem to be one. And on the job front, you know, in that Vice documentary I was talking about earlier, there was a huge, huge building. They just employed four guys who lived there 24-7 and just repaired motherboards. Or yeah. That's what they did. And that's all these guys will do as well. They'll have a couple of people on hand to make sure nothing blows up. Or and they're leasing the space. They don't own the space. So they're not even building out new you know, space exactly. here. So it's helping the guys who are in the building. Fine. So they're getting the rent from it. But, you know, what the hell else is going on? And, you know, the problems with this as well. So when I was doing my research, because I knew we were going to talk about this, um, I was looking at a lot of articles about the environmental impacts. And it's been covered by quite a few people. But then you go on to places like the ever-unbiased Cointelegraph and that kind of yeah. thing where they're sort of saying, oh, well, you know, gold mining uh, has a more devastating environmental impact. Yes, it does. Fine. That's absolutely right. Yeah, it does. And they talk about, some, you know, oh, the international economy on a, on a, has a much bigger environmental impact. Yes, you're right. It does. It's a matter of scale, though. And that's the thing. Like, you know, if you brought 
a dollar transaction, as we just said with the views transactions, down to the scale of what Bitcoin is doing right now. The, the impact is negligible. If you scale Bitcoin up to the level where it becomes an actual commodity or currency, or whatever you want to call it, being traded on a global basis yeah. day to day at the levels that cable is traded or like anything else, then that's a real environmental problem. I mean, yeah. that's, that's end of the world style stuff that you're talking about right there. Um, and even the, the whole thing about, you know, the, the mining operation in a day is as much as a 747 on international flights. Yes, again, fine, but that's serving a purpose. That is, yeah. our society is built around travel and it's getting people from one place to another and, that can, and that's actually serving a purpose. So we're dumping that CO2 in the atmosphere, but it's not just to enrich a couple of people who bought a bunch of machines and then spun up and are leeching off, you know, yeah. the things today. So, yeah. Right now we're saying that this Bitcoin is worth something, but that could tank it. It's possible. This is not to say that programmable currencies, mm. programmable currencies, will eventually be the real thing. Like sure. what we what we see traded on treasuries, what IBM likes to talk about, those are different than this cryptocurrency yeah. that we say is worth this much. You can absolutely run an IPO on a digital <coughs> currency, but be easier in settlement, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, but um, you know, let's not beat around the bush here. The only reason people are investing in Bitcoin is because its speculative value has gone up to such a massive extent yeah. that. It's almost stupid not to. Like yeah. at the end of the day, it's just a, yeah. And I do understand the whole point of gold. Why is gold? You're absolutely right. That it's why does gold? Why yeah. you know an emerald is rarer, right? I mean, there's yeah. a crazy story about that, but emeralds are rare. Silver's more useful. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, so. But I can buy gold rare. I can buy, we we have put a price on, but it is something tangible. There is something mm. tangible that you can get out of it. I don't get this, and we're going down a path here where like, and this is the other thing. At the end of the day, screw it. You can't have, they're going to have to put in rules here. And I, and it does sound like from the Vice article that Bitcoin miners are like, listen, any overages, we can pay. You know, don't worry, because we're making so much freaking money here, even though we're giving you nothing to your oh, community. Yeah. And it is that lovely. So if they go over, they'll pay the overages. Well, How like, did you help the community in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, you're still forcing them to go and do this. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's like, you know, and, and these guys don't care. Like, if your bill is $80,000 a month, yeah, like you mining bitcoins in a day. Guess what? Like, fantastic. Fine. Yeah. Like I said, this is should be a situation where the IRS comes in, um, or the state authority, or someone, and just oh, it has to be a federal authority actually, because if it's just a state authority, they'll move to a different state. Yeah, uh, it has to be a federal authority coming in and saying, if you are going to do this, then you have a duty of care to your community. You reinvest your profits back in that community, either through taxation of what you gain through that power. Or through another means which we can work out with you, but there has to be some kind of social benefit to this. That's why. So Plasberg put a moratorium on it, and all this concern. Well, the, the Bitcoin jobs might leave and never come back. The hydroelectric dam isn't going anywhere. Yeah, it's still there. It's still gonna have cheap electricity, and that's what Bitcoin miners need. So don't worry. And also, Let's guys, get it's our good, heads around. Good if they're not there. <laughs> this is where the problem started when they moved in. They're not doing anything for you. See, so why are you worried about not being yeah. a Bitcoin? Well, they haven't so, added any jobs. They haven't done anything like that. So. No. Again, it's a speculative thing, and I'm all for that, but don't come at me and then say, I do care about the environment. I do care about ESG issues. I, want, I only want to invest in ESG. Well, no, you can't own Bitcoin. Then. You know, so we have a lot of discussions in journalism circles. You know, can you really own Bitcoin and also then write about it? The answer is no. no you it can't. Be, you know, it's, <laughs> you're biased. Yeah. It's going to naturally make you, you buy. You can't own a stock and then write about that company. So, I mean, as, as Matt Lysing said on Twitter the other day from Bloomberg, he's getting a host of lunatics coming after him saying, oh, you're spreading FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, fake news, and the rest of it. 
and saying, well, you must own Bitcoin. It's like, no, I don't own Bitcoin, man. I can't write about stuff that I own and that kind of thing. So it's the same thing in Iron Reason as well. Like, we wouldn't let any of our reporters write about Bitcoin if they own it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the ethical dimensions of that. But it's just, yeah, the whole thing is starting to irritate me to the ends of the earth. And like, the fact is, you just can't argue with the supporters. You just can't do it. Like, you'll turn around to me and say, no, look, Here's some empirical evidence. The price of electricity in Plattsburgh went up in direct relation to this. Taxpayer dollars, yeah. taxpayers had to pay more for electricity. If businesses might have to lay people off because of it. No, in a town that is in a hugely hurt, they're in a massive yeah. budget crisis right in, now. In a depressed area. And then these people turn around and go, no, it's FUD. It's all FFUD. It's uh, fake news. It's not fucking like, fake news. It's go like, Plattsburgh. Like, Take yeah, a look yeah. around there and uh, trust me, you'll see that. You, know, you have the campus down there, nice little campus and everything like that. You got a little downtown area by the monopole, you know, and uh, you go out drinking there. It's great. But then the rest, how many closed up shops are around that town? How many just, it's 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 a depressed area, man. And so, yeah, it, these are questions that are going to have to be solved. Pittsburgh as a city only has only so much power. They're going to, this will go to a state level, <coughs> surely first, to figure out how to be able to handle this. But you can't have people just come in leech off your power in other countries coming in just so that they can mine and providing nothing to the residents there. Um, but you, as an individual, should be thinking about, if you are going to invest in cryptocurrencies, understand what you're investing in. Listen, I don't care. You want to invest in Remington, you know, in, in gun manufacturers? Yeah. Go for it, man. That's, you know, that, that's, that's right. I'm also not saying it's illegal to do it. It's not. Yeah, invest in Exxon Mobil if that's what you want. You know, so. This is perfectly fine. But just be real with yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Don't trick yourself and say, no, no, this is overblown. No. There is very tangible negative effects to this, and you have to understand that. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Nearly that, Tater. <laughs> so my voice is giving out. We're going to talk about Tony's funeral. Right? My, my voice <laughs> is giving out right now. Um, do you want to cover the fight quickly? Like in terms of, sure. Yeah. So, Anthony Joshua... Fought Joseph Parker, yeah, um, in England, Wales, I guess actually. Um, yeah, well, same thing, I guess. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> fairly even until about halfway, do you think? Or was what? It fairly even until about halfway? Or I, I thought that jo- uh, Anthony, uh, sorry, uh, Joseph Parker was getting way too much credit. Uh, Anthony Joshua was backing him down with his jab. Was yeah. doing early on excellent body work that he wasn't getting credit for, but every time Parker would land a body shot, everybody would exclaim. It's kind of weird. I, I was watching it like, in, and I'm not a boxing expert by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but just it, just from watching him, it just seemed like he didn't want to engage for the first few rounds. It was bizarre. Like, I mean, I agree. I thought that he was hurting when he did land stuff way more than he was ever getting hurt. I mean, yeah. saw that big shiner come up on the fifth round and that yeah. kind of thing. But it just seemed like he wasn't going for the kill when he could have done a few times. It's, Which is weird yeah. for him because he has always been a very aggressive fighter, a very entertaining fighter, yeah. knocked out all every opponent he had faced. There was something about... It's funny because he didn't even seem that herky-jerky or awkward to fight. But there was certainly something about Parker's style that he just didn't feel comfortable with. Yeah. Or maybe he just knew that Parker has an excellent chin. Mm-hmm. Parker wasn't really pressing the fight in any way, so he just kind of knew that he could kind of Lennox Lewis it, put him on the end of his jab. And just walk to an easy decision. Not the greatest thing, but if he fights Deontay Wilder, he's not going to have that opportunity. Deontay yeah. Wilder is a madman who has said <laughs> that he wants a body on his record, meaning he hopes to murder somebody in the ring. That's good. He's That's a bit good. of a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. Um, with, American, right? So, yeah, American. Yeah. So, that, well, this from the last podcast, this is what the, the fight's going to be great, right? Yeah. In terms of if they do it in New York or Vegas or something, I don't know. Well, it'll be interesting because 
you know, you have Anthony Joshua is attracting 80,000 people for his fights over there. He's putting up huge, huge numbers. And that was a spectacle, that stadium, yeah. man. The amount of people was unbelievable. Absolutely a yeah. madhouse. Deontay Wilder said that he'll go over to London and fight him, you know, put him at Wembley. That would be a huge fight, one of the biggest audiences. It's kind of like when yeah. the Klitschko's fight in Germany. I mean, 100,000 people are showing up. You know, New York, yeah, you'll put in Vegas, 20,000 people are going to be there. It'll be a packed arena, but it's only 20,000, 30,000 people, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, you put them in Wembley, it's a yeah. massive venue. So, it's, yeah. so uh, I hope that happens. Hopefully it'll happen uh, in the fall. I'm skeptical. Um, boxing is always that way, you know. Yeah. You, you, you hope to see these fights, but usually they get they take forever. They seem to be doing it pretty qu- quicker and quicker though. Right? Yes. In terms of like, they, I think they realize that they can't have this glacial pace anymore. If they say they're going to do a fight, they've got yeah. to capitalize that the next yeah. sort of six or seven months. But because yeah. people are moving on now, they're going. Yeah, they're, they're, they're boxing again. People always said like, oh, well, if we had just that American heavyweight in the good. Well, you do now. Yeah. Oh, we still don't care. Oh, okay, shit. <laughs> yeah, so it's like <laughs> boxing's still doing fine, but it's the niche sports it is. In the UK, that's a huge event. A huge event. That will be well, monstrous. It's, it's good for the States as well if it is held in the UK. Because, I mean, that fight, I just love the fact that it was on at 6 in the evening and I didn't have to stay up until, you know, God midnight and watch it. I think, that'll be the, I think that's going to be a thing that's going to kind of come out is, can you run a, pay, a pay-per-view in America? Because mm-hmm. the American dollars, you still want that on a yeah. pay-per-view scale. So can you run a pay-per-view in America and at 6 o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah, and still get a huge rating. Whereas usually you kind of think people like, start drinking later in the states, don't yeah. they? That kind of thing. Got the bars later, so it's, yeah. I'd much rather start drinking in the afternoon yeah, than just well, you know. I have drinking most afternoons. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. you had that. Yep. Maybe uh, just uh, could mean you've been talking about some interesting TV shows that we've been watching and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you were t- saying one, the terror. The terror, AMC's new one. Uh, it's really good. It's. Uh, so it's based on when they were trying to chart the Northwest Passage, they sent a couple of ice-breaking ships, which are the most advanced for their time, the, the Terror and the Erebus, um, into the, the North Pole, essentially, and then just got lost. Yeah. Uh, never heard from them again. They actually found uh, the Terror last year, I think, finally, like, uh, underwater. Um, this is based on a book by Dan Simons, who, or Dan Simmons, sorry, um, <laughs> It's the guy from Bested. It's a moonlighting as a as a screenwriter, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's been like a super actual kind of bent on it. Um, but it's just absolutely fantastic. It's so well done in terms of production value. Um, the actors are great in it. Um, it's the I've seen three episodes so far, and it's a masterpiece of survival horror. It's just so tense all the way through. So well shot, so well paced. Um, it's a real slog for the first couple of episodes because you kind of they're embedding you with the crew, so you're kind of yeah. going through it with them. Um, but the interpersonal drama is really good between it, and uh, I just I think it's the best thing on television right now. I, mean, I, I love all the old uh, Shackleton stories mm. and you know stuff like that. Uh, well, this is like Master and Commander meets the Thing, essentially. Yeah. So it's uh, you know it's pretty good, pretty well done. Let's Check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just I spent you know again laid up uh, sick all weekend. So I just watched a bunch of documentaries, and uh, a couple jumped out to me, but the one on HBO about Gary Shandling, who's one of my favorite comics of all time, mm-hmm. and I wasn't even a Larry Sanders show fan. Um, I just loved him as a comedian, and whenever he'd do like a, a late-night skit, he would kill. Um, so just two-part series, but just a beautifully done documentary about a comedian, but about, you know, just about life and, just, you know, this pursuit of kind of perfection um, highly recommend moving documentary, um, and then on Netflix is one that it's a six part series called Wild Wild Country. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is great. I love this. And yeah, so it takes place in Oregon. I can't believe I've, I, I don't, I didn't know about it. Or if I knew about it, I've completely forgot about mm-hmm. it. But this happened in the 80s, 70s into the 80s, um, about this cult leader, the Bhagwan, um, and how they move into this Oregon town. There was uh, this town called Antelope, which had a population of 40. Mm-hmm. Then they kind of bought this this ranch of what was it like forty thousand acres something yeah. <laughs> ridiculous like that, and just moved in, set up shop, and just tried to take over not only the town but then the county. <laughs> it was it's just one of the wildest stories I've ever seen. It's it's six episodes. It could have easily been five, and I'm not sure that they answered all the questions that I had. So I'm not necessarily saying that it's, it was a great documentary but the story was so good I think anybody could have told that documentary or told that story and it's great so I, I highly recommend it if you don't know anything about it well, it's amazing how I think Martin Zamato has called it a forgotten piece of American history but so recent it's yeah amazing, so. I, it blows my mind that this happened in my lifetime that yeah. I, I was asked my dad I was like if I said Bhagwan to you do you know what I'm talking about I have no idea what the hell you're talking about <laughs> it's like Tony. <laughs> yeah exactly um, and then you got uh, Andre the Giant documentary coming up on April 10th. Oh, that'd be cool. I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of good reviews on that. Um, HBO has a good documentary on Arthur Miller. Yep. Told by his daughter. Um, so a different perspective than what you might have read about or heard about on Arthur Miller in the past. And then if you're going to be at Tribeca, my girlfriend's, uh, her production company, Public Record, they have their documentary, Sidelined. It's about these NFL cheerleaders in 1978 mm-hmm. who got permission from their teams to pose for Playboy. Then when the issue came out, the teams fired all the, the cheerleaders. <laughs> it's a good story. So yes. if you're in, if you're going to be at Tribeca... It's actually quite topical as well, considering the recent spate of articles about cheerleaders in the New York Times and stuff. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so check that out. But uh, yeah, other than that, I haven't watched any new TV shows. I've just been... I, yeah. I, I keep on watching The Wire and uh, The West Wing, so, you know. Look at all the usual stuff. The Magicians is good this season, actually. That's worth watching. The Magician? The Magicians. The Magicians. Yeah, yeah. It's quite sort of... Well, it's, it's very hipster, but it's pretty good. Yeah. You say so. <laughs> Hard pass on that one. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I'm going to go and hack out my lung now. Um, but thank you for tolerating me and uh, my, my voice. We'll have less coughing next up. Hopefully, God. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week. Um, but again, we have these events coming up. We have the Women in Technology and Data Award write-ups online. Yep. Got all this good stuff, so check it out. Um, and until then, we'll see you.